Hey, it's Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness. What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Get ready for comedy. Elmo's horny. Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. <laughs> and poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius, more well endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now, the one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Hi, it's me, Adam Sank. This is my show, The Adam Sank Show. And today is Sunday, February 11th. We are not live, but you can tweet about us as if we were. You can email me at adam at adamsank.com. You can like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page, which you should. Don't call because we won't be able to pick up. Old episodes of The Ass are now available on iTunes. Just search for Adam Sank Show and click subscribe. Just type in this old ass. Thank you, Derek. And also donate to my AIDS Walk page. I am once again trying to raise $20,000 for AIDS Walk New York. The walk is in May, so I have a lot of time to do it, but I need your help. If you go to adamsank.com, right there on my homepage, uh, there's a link to my AIDS Walk page. So please click and make your tax-deductible donation. Our guest today is HIV activist and blogger Mark S. King. He blogs uh, for the fabulous blog, My Fabulous Disease. And once again, joining us, our celebrity co-host, everyone's favorite grumpus, Derek Hartley, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, studio audience. Yeah, unlike Krampus, uh, uh, I'm with you 365 days a year, not just at Christmas. Derek, how is it having me uh, as host and you as a lesser co-host? I love it. You know, my favorite thing at the old at the old place where we used to work was when I would fill in on the Frank DeCarroll show. And I'll tell you why. Because I only had to sit there and play Doria and every once in a while say, oh, Frank, or uh, just throw in a zinger somewhere. And then the rest of the time I could concentrate on my knitting. Or no pressure on you. No right? pressure. I agree. I love being a guest oh. because I, you know, you can just. Chime in whenever you feel like it, and then you can sit back and do nothing. Pick your ass. You know what it's like? Because obviously most people listening will never be hosting a radio show or guest hosting a radio show uh, or co-hosting a radio show. Let me tell you what it's like. It's like a convertible. Imagine that the show is like a convertible, right? When you're a passenger in a convertible, you get to fully enjoy it. You can look up and around and whatever else and really enjoy it. When you're driving the convertible... There are some benefits to it, the sky and the wind and your face, whatever. But you also have to focus on the road and what's going on. It is a less pleasurable experience, but it's also why people ride in a convertible and they think, this is great. Why doesn't everybody own a convertible? And then you get one and you're like, this experience kind of sucks. It's it's a passenger That's experience. A beautiful analogy, Thank Derek. Thank you. So there you go. Brought a tear to my hole. Derek, last week you wanted to talk about, um, I brought a tear to my Yes, I have anal fissures. You wanted to discuss something... 
that had transpired when Bianca Del Rio was my guest. Uh, so yeah. he, here it is, your forum, Derek, to sound off on Adam Sank's interview with Bianca Del Rio. I'm glad I have this opportunity to have a rebuttal to what happens here. On it's the not band. like you have five days a week to rebut this on your own show, by the way. <laughs> I know. I'm putting the butt in rebuttal here on ass. I want you to know I listen to the ass every week like your Thank tens you. of listeners do. And I want you to know that I was listening a couple of weeks ago when Bianca Del Rio was on our the people who listen to our show, it is already well known to them that uh, I uh, wrote the sequel to the Hurricane Bianca movie, Hurricane Bianca 2, uh, From Russia with Hate. Very exciting. And uh, Matt Kugelman, who's a mutual friend of ours, mine and uh, Bianca, although I think you know Matt also, right? You've met him. Uh, I think you're friends on Facebook. Yeah, I think we're Facebook yeah. friends and that's anyway. it. But uh, he... We haven't fucked. No, but he lives in the same neighborhood with you. You know, you probably have 100 friends in common. Maybe we have fucked. Uh, who can say... <laughs> Uh, anyway, little, go ahead. A little bird told me he loves uh, people from down uh, down south. Uh, uh, no, even further south, like South America. Oh, Central I see. America. Yeah, yeah. I'm he, not his type, is like, what you're like saying. Latinos. Okay. Anyway, I've heard. That's what that's what Bianca said to me when uh, I think that Bianca for a time thought that I was hanging around with Matt because I was trying to get into his pants. Because at one point, uh, Bianca turned to me and said. You know he's only into Latin guys, right? It's like I'm not trying. Can I be friends with somebody without it being like a no, you sexual not. thing? Anyway, all right, get to the rebuttal. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, Bianca Del Rio was on the show, and uh, I of course excitedly tuned in as I do, like when somebody says, "Oh, I had a dream and you were in it." Then I want to know everything. So of course I tuned in because I wanted to hear what Bianca would say about me, and then I was upset by what Bianca said. Speaking of movies. We're what? all very excited yeah. about what the hell's going on. Beyond. That's not me. Oh, was there is there a, a soundbite ready? Yes, we have a soundbite. I didn't know. Adam, sorry, go ahead. Speaking of how- movies, we're all very excited yeah. about Hurricane Bianca two, and I understand the screenwriter is some ne'er do well off the street named Derek Hartley. Oh, her, yes. You know, I, Derek, it's so funny. Uh, Derek is very good friends with my friend Matt Kugelman, and I say friends with Matt and not with me because Derek is so shady. He would always come to my Shade. show at the Ritz when there was four people on a Monday night in the audience, and he would show up right before showtime, and then in that nasty, hateful voice of his, say, oh, I've got to catch a train to get to my country home. I can't stay. So he never stayed for my show. But we never clicked. On that level, I was like, this little shady fuck. And then, uh, you know, that became our relationship with this snarky back and forth madness. And then when Matt told me he was interested in working with him on the film, I thought, oh, well, this would be great. And he did some brilliant stuff. It was actually quite collaborative and fun. And uh, uh, we, we had a blast. Okay, so there you go. So that was a clip. Adam was unprepared. You maybe want to tell me that you're going to have a sound clip in my own show. I do produce this show myself. I was here for the prep meeting before the show. You weren't here. Wow. All right. So now that I've heard myself interviewing yes. Bianca, what is your rebuttal? So, be, so at, I was at first taken aback because Bianca says, oh, we didn't click, like basically as friends, right? And I was like, oh, I cannot believe that Bianca would say this about me. I have no Bianca Del Rio for however long, eight, nine years, a long time here in the city. And then uh, I thought about what the Dalai Lama said. I'm going to paraphrase the Dalai Lama because I've never been able to find this quote again. Uh, but the Dalai Lama said that... Uh, when you're angry, it's because you have an outsized sense of your own importance. And uh, I definitely have that. So, uh, yes, but, you do. But I really, I thought about it a lot. And honestly, I have known uh, Roy and Bianca for a really long time. But we also don't socialize and hang out. 
part of that is that I never go out. I never socialize. That's just me. Uh, but like we professionally have hung out a fair amount. I have gone to Bianca's show. That was 100% true. It was not shade. Bianca's show was supposed to start at midnight and then it would be 1 a.m. and it still hadn't started. And it's a Monday night. I got to go home. I'm, I'm, gonna... I'm right there with yeah. you. I can't do these midnight shows. Uh, so, but I would, the second Bianca was like, okay, I'm going up on stage. It's like, well, I, I waited it out here for an hour and a half. Now I got to go home. Uh, but that is true. But Bianca guest hosted on my old show. Uh, famously, if you go to YouTube, there is a uh, Bianca Del Rio and Lady Bunny uh, on the show with me where I barely get a word in edgewise because Lady Bunny was so I wouldn't know what that's like. cracked out that uh, even Bianca, because Bianca walked in because Bunny was guest hosting with me and Bianca was the guest and Bianca walked in and Bunny was so cracky and uh, Bianca looks at me like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, she's your friend. I thought you knew. Like, this is crazy. You deal with her. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, but uh, I've had a great sort of this kind of professional relationship with Bianca, I was a little taken aback that she didn't think. We I were think fled. she was trying to be funny. She I, was being funny, but also we don't in her own cunty way. But we don't hang out socially, and I, but I understand that people looking at people who are in the public eye, they see pictures of them on Instagram or they hear them on the radio, and they think, oh, they must be hanging out together all the time. But I, I, in point of fact, honestly, you've heard about every single. If you've listened to my show over the years, you've heard every single time I've ever seen. Roy or Bianca in real life like I there's no other hidden right like friendship going on well she's you're she's also very fucking busy and has been for years I mean I don't think she she sees many friends these days well and she also she moved to Los Angeles and after 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 um drag race I basically never saw Bianca again because she has been traveling 300 days a year or something insane and lives in California but I will say this on the uh on the script uh, it uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was Matt's idea, and uh, I worked on it with Matt. And Roy obviously had an enormous amount of input because, you know, he it's his character. He's Bianca, um, but it was really working on it was really great. And I saw I saw Roy because uh, Bianca and Matt their birthdays are a day apart, so they tend to have a joint birthday party, which I go to every year. And after I wrote the script and before they started shooting, I saw Roy at the birthday party and I courted him and I said, uh, don't read the script in the taxi on the way to the set and then call me and say, what the fuck did you get me into? Because Roy, like me, trusts Matt implicitly. Whatever yeah. Matt wants to do, fine. And uh, it's part of why when he said, hey, do you want to write this movie? I was like, whatever you want, I'm happy to do it. And I know that that's how Roy feels about Matt also. Like, I trust you, whatever you want. But I also was like, Roy, do not do not just trust that Matt thinks the script is great and then don't read it all the way through and then get to the set and be like, I am not doing this shit. That, and then blame me, like, because I knew that that would how it would be. But actually, well, we all great. look forward to uh, Hurricane Bianca 2 from Russia with hate. You don't even know. It hits theaters later in 2018. Um, Derek, I want to talk about a story Something that else? Has, not me. It, yes, this has been on the docket, the ass docket, if you will. Uh, is that a real thing? Yes. Since New Year's Eve, I've wanted to do this story, oh and we're just God. getting to it now. Because as many people know, 2017 was the worst year of all time. Was it? For a number of reasons. You had Donald Trump getting elected. You had killer floods and hurricanes, uh, not just Hurricane Bianca, but actual hurricanes in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico. Uh, you had uh, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history in Las Vegas. I mean, it was just one horrible thing after another. But you know, in 1918, the Spanish... Oh, Derek, fuck on, you. The Spanish flu killed 
2% of the world's population. Nobody knows what you're talking about, Regis. Listen, so a Twitter user- I do, it's okay. Thank you, JB. A Twitter user named Jacob Atkins decided to compile a short list of some fabulous things that happened in 2017 to make us all feel better. Okay. About this uh, this terrible, terrible year that we just had. So, in no particular order, here are some of the things. We don't have time for all of them uh, from his list. The most important thing is that HIV is no longer the leading cause of death in Africa. Okay, that is good news. According to the most recent World Health Organization data, it is being surpassed by lower respiratory tract infections. Not that that's a good thing, Ugh. but at least they're finally starting to get a handle on HIV AIDS. Um, overall... Over the past decade, HIV-AIDS mortalities have been cut nearly in half in Africa, from 1.5 million in 2005 to an estimated 760,000 in 2015. And if Um, they start getting opioids there in Africa, they can have an entirely new, like HIV might move out of the top five. Exactly. Thank you, Derek. That's some dark shit, some dark humor coming from Derek Hartley. Um, Another big story that I didn't hear about, and this was reported first in August of 2017, the honeybees are coming back. Oh. You know about colony collapse? Yes. Uh, The number of commercial U.S. honeybee colonies actually rose 3%. In 2017, uh, to 2.89 million, uh, compared with a year earlier, the number of hives lost to colony collapse disorder had raised concerns about uh, among farmers and scientists for over a decade. Um, but they they seem to be coming back, and that this was actually like a terrifying thing because they were saying once the bees go, then the whole food supply is going to collapse and we're well, all going to be y- fucked. Yes, it looks like the bees are coming back though. Um, Crime in America was down 2.7% in 2017. Overall crime. The murder rate was so low here in New York, you were more likely to be killed on an episode of CSI than here in New York City. <laughs> That's Shade. A, that is a true, honestly, that is a true fact. Because there's, whatever, 10 CSI shows and fewer than 100 people were murdered in New York. So. Did you write that joke yourself? That's I just made good. it up. It's actually really true. It's good. Well, I had to deal with this for a while with my own family because, Adam, your family is close by here, so they know what New York City is like. But I have other family members in other parts of the country that think that New York City is still Serpico. And uh, when I moved to Harlem, my dad is like, uh, aren't you uh, aren't you nervous about living there, that it, it might be dangerous? I was like, Dad, where you live in Utah, the murder rate is higher in Salt Lake City than it is yeah, in no, Manhattan. Yeah, no, it's true. So, I was like, no, you sh- you're the one who should be worried. Those fucking Mormons around every corner just waiting to get stabby. Derek and I are fighting over I who know. gets to hit the bell first. <laughs> we had to put the shade bell in the middle. I'm like, damn it, that's not bad. And I have my own over here, but I keep forgetting it's here. I don't like this one as much. I know. Everyone like, doesn't everyone make a likes, good sound. They like shade bell classic. Uh, as opposed to new shade bell. <laughs> yeah. So finally, the last one I'll tell you about is that snow leopards in Bhutan have moved from the endangered species list to the vulnerable species list. I also am on a vulnerable list. I know you are. Um, this is from the Brennan Center. Their analysis is based on... Oh, wait. No, I just skipped Which <laughs> to Brennan? a different story. The Eileen Brennan Center? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's a really oh, obscure would, reference. Eileen totally... Brennan for Private Benjamin and Will and Grace. I would give money to the Eileen Brennan Center. Back to the snow leopards of Bhutan, Derek. <laughs> The people of the Himalayas call them the ghosts of the mountains for their seemingly supernatural ability to appear out of nowhere and disappear into the landscape as silently as they arrive. Just like everyone I've ever dated. Much like JB. (laughs) In the frozen habitats of Bhutan and neighboring countries, the snow leopard is the apex predator. 
but habitat loss and poaching have driven this legendary big cat to the most remote corners of the mountains. Um, but they've, like the bees, they have started to return. So it's not all bad news in 2017, Derek. There were a couple hopeful things. And speaking of Twitter users, this is another old story. This is from January 6th, but we never got to it. And Why? so I'm going to talk about it you know now. What? Since you and I are in the prime of life. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe how many old things you are dragging up here on the show. It's only going to remind this people that we're This is what we do when we have a taped show. We, uh, we, we can't keep it fresh? We can't, well, it's hard. you got to do stories that are kind of evergreen, um, if you know what I'm saying. Is that how that's it what works? We, that's what we say in the biz. I've only been in radio for 15 years. Yeah. I don't understand how I'm any of this works. I'm trying to teach you how it works. Um, but this is a great story, Derek, and I don't know if you and Romaine ever talked about this. Do you know about Sarah Silverman befriending her Twitter troll? Uh, I do not know about this, but because it's being recorded in advance, I will be able to scoop myself by doing it live on Derek and Romaine before this actually you airs. Motherfucker. I know, Don't I'm you so nasty. dare do that. Let me just take Shame. some notes. Don't you dare. I spend all week researching stupid stories for this show. Oh, you think I don't spend all my time researching stupid stories? So here's what happened. Some dude on Twitter named Jeremy Jamrazi tweeted at Sarah Silverman. He only tweeted one word. Do you know what word that was, Derek? Labia. No, it was actually cunt. I was close. That is real close, He just wrote cunt. Okay. Now, most celebrities would either ignore that, not read it to begin with, or write something cunty in reply. But Sarah did none of those things. Instead, she went to his feed. She read uh, a little bit about him, found out that he suffered from chronic back pain. And what she tweeted back to cunt was this. I believe in you. I read your timeline and I see what you're doing and your rage is thinly veiled pain, but you know that. I know this feeling. P.S. My back fucking sucks too. See what happens when you choose love? I see it in you. After a series of back and forth messages, Silverman asked Jamrazi to go to a support group. He agreed to go and apologize for being rude. One of the things he tweeted was, I will go, but I trust no one. I've been burned so many times. I'd give the shirt off my back, and every time I get burned, I'm super antisocial. I have no friends. I'm sorry I gave you shit. The conversation continued. It grew friendlier and friendlier. And uh, finally, Jamrazi told Silverman he enjoys her comedy, is amazed by her love for humanity, and that she's got herself a fan in him. She's also started a go, or actually, he started a GoFundMe page, and Sarah has been promoting the page on Twitter to help him pay for his medical expenses due to his back pain. Um, he was interviewed by a newspaper in San Antonio where he said, I was once a giving and nice person, but too many things destroyed that, and I became bitter and hateful like Derek Hartley. Huh. Then Sarah showed me the way. Don't get me wrong, I still have a long way to go, but it's a start. Not a sweet story. And I owe it all to that old cunt, Sarah Silverman. <laughs> I Look, I... We all make choices every single day. This might have been the plot of uh, of uh, the end of the season. Spoiler alert uh, of the Good Place. Uh, you know that basically life sometimes hands you good things, sometimes hands you bad things, and how you deal with them is really about you. I mean, I think we can go all the way back to the Bible and the story of Job, and it really it's not what comes at you; it's how you take it. That's right. And uh, you know, just like in a sex club. You don't always have control over what comes at you, but I never do. I'm usually do, tied up. You do have control over how you take it. Well, I think Sarah Silverman's amazing. Oh. And actually on her Netflix show, she does this. She goes and visits Trump supporters who are diametrically opposed to her politically and she looks for their humanity and tries to show them hers and it's a really 
kind of unique approach to conflict, um, particularly the conflict that, that that's happening every day in this country. So I love Sarah. I couldn't love her more. And I think that's just an amazing story. Somebody who did not use Twitter in a sweet and magnanimous way was Derek. Huh. And also Cher. Oh, well, let me tell you something about Cher. She's got strong opinions and she's not afraid to show them, unlike wrinkles on her face. Hey, now. Well, Look, Sh- I love Cher, and God bless Cher for not changing. Cher has has decided she's going to remain exactly the same for her entire life. You haven't life. changed in a while either. I've seen that shirt many times. Actually, uh, you have not. I wore something oh, I don't right. normally wear in public. First rule of improv. Yes, and. Um, anyway. Whatever, Sh- Sedera. Cher. Cher. <laughs> Cher tweeted about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, mm. and I will now read the tweet using Cher's voice. Would someone please tell Sarah Huckabee Sanders to stop dressing like a sister wife? She is a sister wife. That's to, not a that's not a dig. To drive the point home, Cher posted a photo culled from the press materials for the Big Love DVD box set. <laughs> Cher went on to say, "The braids, the lace-up shoes, puffy shoulders, long sleeves, and high necks." Uh, Sarah did not respond. However, one of Sarah Huckabee fans. <laughs> One of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' fans, which is a tongue twister, did reply and said, Could you be any weaker, Cher? We've had people say nasty things about me and my clothes for 53 years. Some days lead, some days feathers. I don't know what that means. Are you such a princess's apostrophe S, that a stupid joke gets your knickers in a twist? I don't know what this has to do with the story. I don't know either, but I'm sure it's uh, more important information from the Eileen Brennan Center for comedy. I uh, here's the thing. I, uh, you know, I have a lot of strong opinions about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And um, we're not we're not supposed to make fun of the way she looks. That's kind of like the 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 problem that I have is that when people don't like uh, men, they attack their their intellect or their ability and when they don't like women they attack how they look yes and no uh oh, gay okay. men are are just as vicious to other men's looks and outfits as we are to women oh but we're like super vicious toward women and what they wear sure i i think most of the of the shit that's said about donald trump involves him being orange being fat having ridiculous hair well i mean those looking like jabba true. the hut i mean we don't just do it to sarah huckabee sanders but i will but you're right your point is well, well taken two Jabba's that, in a hut what that, are you gonna do that women, <laughs> women do get it uh way worse and and are shamed for particularly for being overweight where m- most overweight men just skate no, on because by. uh obese men are able to go on national television and say they weigh 239 pounds and America's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, if a woman wants to be in a movie, they're like, you're great. Can you lose 40 pounds? Exactly. It's like she's already stick thin. Anyway, whatever. Um, I, uh, I want to talk about this story because uh, there are people who listen to this show who like what? sports, I suppose. Oh. And it's also a lesbian story-ish. What? Lesbians in sports? Groundbreaking. I know. There is a UFC fighter named Liz Carmouche, or Carmouche. She is the first openly gay UFC fighter and uh, is being hailed for that. And she says that she thinks that the UFC is ready and the UFC's audience is ready to accept a gay male athlete when she was asked the question. Take a listen to Liz Carmouche. Come out and be accepted. 
I think now, yes. A few years ago when uh, I was first coming out, I didn't think that that, that would be the case. I thought it would be very difficult for a man with the way society views things. Um, but seeing in our own gym just more and more and this different uh, people from the LGBTQ community that are transitioning, they come in here feeling confident that this is a safe place for them. So I do actually believe that a man could come out as being openly gay and he could rise to the top and that people would, would take him for who his set is, not letting his sexual preference take from what he's doing. And I, I certainly hope that there were to place now that could happen. As the word that got uh, cut off there was butt sex. Anyway, Liz broke the glass ceiling back in 2013 when she fought Ronda Rousey in UFC's inaugural women's title fight. Um, back then, she said she had doubts about a man following in her footsteps, but she feels differently now. Um, she recently partnered with Hemp Meds and thinks that the UFC should also let its fighters smoke weed. So I like this lesbian. I like this pot-smoking lesbian who thinks we're ready for a gay man in Here's, the ring. Uh, can I, I don't know a lot about her. I don't watch the UFC. Romaine says I should watch it all the time because it's like gay porn. So hot. But if you want to see uh, guys in great shape humping each other you could actually just watch porn but um <laughs> carmouche sounds like something that when you're at a gay wedding and the waiters come around with the trays like um what is this and they go oh that's carmouche oh that's well baked well of course with kale right but they say it in this way like you should know what carmouche is <laughs> you uh uncouth terrible person i can't believe they let you into this wedding so then you have to pretend that you know what carmouche is like oh i love carmouche uh i went on an all carmouche diet once and um i lost 10 pounds it does sound uh, like something that we should all be eating um and speaking of eating it's time for this week's story from cocktails and cocktalk.com and now time for another stupid story from cocktails and cocktalk.com yeah suck my cock all your imaging sounds the same. Yeah, thanks. I'm okay. the only one doing it. Oh, it's called okay, one man right. banding it, bitch. Okay. Um, this we, is we, you should talk to you somebody around here about uh, uh, about that. This it's, is one of the dumbest stories ever to appear on cocktails. And, and in case you haven't, uh, you don't get the the point of this, Derek. They they frequently will say gay men are doing this in greater and greater numbers, and there's never any source for it. It's just something they made up. But they heard it at a party. That's exact. That's exactly they right. Saw it happen in an Uber, and now it's widespread. <laughs> but the well, speaking of widespread, the headline here is that gay men are supposedly using editing supposedly. apps to make their buttholes disappear. Um, what? <laughs> They're using apps like Facetune, which allows users to smooth over blemishes to make their poop shoots look more desirable. Okay. Uh, by actually removing it, so they so they just have a Ken doll ass with no hole, no pucker, just a just a smooth cheeks with nothing, just a line. Well, how uh, who's supposed to have sex with that? Well, you know, I have to say I kind of get this because although I think a hot ass is really beautiful, I don't necessarily want to see inside your ass. I don't need to see the hole. It doesn't need to be a colonoscopy. And I, I get it. Not everybody is Brent Corrigan, who has the most beautiful actual hole-wise. Like, the most beautiful, like a like a sex funnel. Yeah. It's perfect. But everybody else's hole does not look like his hole. But he genetically is predisposed to have just an absolutely perfect hole. But everybody else, you're right. They're mostly hideous. But 
if you're going to have sex with somebody, it's like, well, that's what they got. Well, Cocktails and Cock Talk says one of the culprits of this is America's Next Top Model contestant turned turned fans only site pusher Dustin McNear. And if you go to the website and click on this not safe for work picture, you can see Dustin's holeless ass. Um, also, rapper Flashman Wade, who has denied being gay, um, seems to also be smoothing his hoop using editing apps. Smoothing uh, his hoop. Cocktails and Cocktalk says it's like anal bleaching for lazy people. So I I could I could see a straight guy doing it because they're trying to like no homo their ass. But with gay I think guys, it's very homo. I think if you're a, spending that much time trying to make your asshole look different, you're, I, you're probably gay. Even when the straight guys are having the the mirror pick with their penis out, where the also the toilet seat is up, like they clearly just took a dump <laughs> and now their abs are popping, so they got to take a picture. Uh, pro tip: at least put the toilet seat down so Thank everyone does not doesn't look at it and immediately think, "Oh, they just took a dump." Because yeah. that's not that's, that's not also that not sexy, but. Uh, anytime that even the straight guys do that, I'm like, that is super gay. Because that's what gay guys, that's how gay guys say hello. Well, that's not the only asshole story on Cocktails and Cock Talk oh, this week. Is there another story about me? This, <laughs> this one is more serious. Serious. Dr. Evan Goldstein says time and time again he's seeing traumatic injury from oh. anal intercourse. Uh, that's the end of the story? <laughs> what did the Eileen Brennan Center say? There's... <laughs> You're never going to get over that. There's been a rise. There's been a rise in anal injuries, according to no research, uh, including pain, bleeding, and irritation, primarily caused by fissures or tears, hemorrhoids, and skin tags. Um, this not only has poor aesthetics, but it uh, it can have mental and long-term physical ramifications. Um, Goldstein says he's seen an immense surge in anal rejuvenation surgeries. Quote, being a gay male myself who engages sexually, I do understand the functions of both defecation, ew, and anal intercourse, along with the overall importance of aesthetics in that area of the body. A pretty and playable ass is a wonderful thing. Who doesn't want that? End quote. I think this is basically a commercial for Dr. Evan Goldstein and his anal rejuvenation business. Oh, yeah, it is. The last paragraph says, we're teaming up with Dr. Goldstein for a series of articles on sexual health and anal care. So if you have a question you'd like busted, you can email at contact at cocktailsandcocktalk.com. The the Ask listeners will be breaking down that door. And uh, outpatient services will be provided at the Eileen Brennan Center (laughs) for anal rejuvenation. (laughs) So look for that uh, in a neighborhood near you. Well, Speaking of anal rejuvenation, our and guest apparently, what are we not? Our guest today is an award-winning blogger, author, and HIV/AIDS activist who tested positive for the virus back in 1985. His blog, My Fabulous Disease, was awarded the National Lesbian and Gay Journalists Association's Excellence in Blogging honor, something Derek Hartley has never won. I didn't even know that was a thing. In 2014 and 2016, and he's been twice nominated for a Glad Media Award. HIV Equal named him one of 13 legendary activists in the fight against HIV. Please welcome to the ass, all the way from sunny Baltimore, Mark S. King. <laughs> Hello, Adam. Hello, Mark. How, how are you? Uh, there's a lot of ass going on on your show today. Uh, a al- lot of al- ass. Almost too much, honestly. It's pretty much all yeah, we talk well, about. Yeah. I guess that's a matter of your point of view. 
Um, I think anything anybody can do to rejuvenate their whole is is more power to them, and God bless them. I mean, they could take Sundays off if they're a whore. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, yeah. Mark you S. Know, King is go- go- Mark is going go on the ahead. record as being pro pretty whole. I'm pro. I, look, I I I I saw the prettiest butthole I've ever seen in my life years ago, and I married him. Oh, that's oh, such a sweet story. That's a romantic story. But then he turned around and what happened? <laughs> <laughs> then the rest was good, too. Okay, all right. Good. That's what you want. And Mark, how has that butthole held up over the years? Uh, you know, very well, considering what it has to go through. Hey, no. Wow, yes. this interview is not what I thought it was going to be at all. I thought <laughs> we're going to be having a serious discussion about HIV, and it turns out you're just a big pig. I'm a big pig. Well, you know, that's not... I'm a big pig within the confines of my committed relationship. That's sweet. Um, uh, honestly, that's how it... That's lovely. That's I, nice. I, I yeah. almost said that's how it should be, but actually, people should make the relationships that work for them. But I think that's that right. when people are in committed uh, relationships, that they should bring the heat. Don't become like a yes. sad lesbian bed depth, sweatpants tragedy. <laughs> keep, keep it right. tight. Keep it fresh. It should be two pigs right. in love. Right, two pigs in love. Yes. Mark, when I was going yes. through your bio to prepare my hole for this show, uh, <clears throat> uh-huh. it struck me, I mean, God, 1985, you test positive for HIV. You've got to be one of the longest living survivors of HIV in, in the world at this point, right? Well, I mean, there's a few of us around, um, but not many, not many. Uh, I happen to know, you know, several people who were diagnosed about the time I was, or maybe they were even sick, you know, before the test came out. You know, I took that, uh, I, I tested positive because the HIV test had just been released like the week before, uh, they had just invented the thing and, and I took it. Um, but there were, you know, there's other people who were sick before that and, and retro retrospectively they realized it was AIDS, but yeah, there's no doubt about it. Me walking and talking is a freaking miracle, and, and, you, and I'm, I'm happy about that. And your history, your personal history, is kind of the history of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. I mean, you've seen the lowest of the lows, and you've seen where we are yeah. now, which I, is a, a relatively great place. And I want you to know that the way that Adam is describing you makes you sound like a relic, and uh, if you want to be upset about <laughs> that, you should be, because he, sound- he does that. Well, that's okay because I, I I have lived to tell the tale, and with a little Photoshop here and there, I still can rock it. You look fabulous. So, thank you. So it does not, it, you know, it's everything else is relative. I'm, uh, but yeah, of course, 18, 1985, living in West Hollywood, um, it was a graveyard, and uh, uh, it was a, a, a difficult time, and so I. I uh, I had a phone sex company that I ran uh, that I uh, sold and went to work for the very first AIDS organization that they uh, that the, that was opened in Los Angeles and uh, helped people die. That's what I did for several years. I uh, we trained volunteers to be at the bedside of people who were dying and not be judgmental and not try to solve anything. Just be with them, and that and that's what I did for the first several years of the AIDS epidemic. Was that the Los Angeles Shanty Foundation? Yes, it was. Yes, it certainly was. Well, uh, uh, other people who uh, went through this experience, especially those who were caregivers, doctors, uh, volunteers uh, with L.A. Shanty, uh, 
they described that after the meds came about and that that phase um, uh, ended, that a lot of people who had dedicated so much of their time uh, to this work uh, found themselves somewhat at sea emotionally. Was that something that you experienced also? Absolutely. That is very, that's a, that's a great way to put it. We were adrift uh, because, I, I mean, we were happy about it. Uh, but um, just just imagine kind of having come to terms with the fact that uh, with any given, two, you know, I would live, I say I live life in two-year increments because I knew that on any given day uh, I would see the spot or the cough or something would happen and the countdown would begin. Uh, and and living your life in two-year increments is, is, uh, is you certainly live in the present, uh, but um, no long-term plans. And then suddenly... In you know the mid '90s, '96, '97, these new class of drugs appear, and everybody's getting up off their deathbed, and they tell us, "Guess what? You're going to live." And uh, you know there are a lot of people like me that said, "Wait a second! I have sold the life insurance and policy, and quit the job, and took the trip around the world, and told the people I don't like to go to hell, and now I'm going to live." Yeah. Uh, and and we were strangely angry, I guess, in a way, but we were embarrassed that we weren't more grateful, but everything, it was like emotional whiplash. Such everything a mind fuck. twisted around. It's a mind fuck. Can I say fuck here? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, all right. We've yeah. been talking so about buttholes for the last oh, yeah. half hour. But that, right, but, I know. Mark, at that time, when, when the good meds, let's call them, started to become available, mm-hmm. had you yeah. had you been sick? Had you manifested any uh, symptoms of AIDS by then? You know, I have not. And and for that, I feel grateful. And it also kind of makes me feel like an imposter, like, oh, I was never in intensive care. Um, but uh, uh, the, the psychology was the same because I was surrounded by friends and with, you know, clients at the agency who were constantly dying. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a lot. And, and, and seeing that preview of coming attractions, you know, on a, on a weekly basis. So uh, fortunately, I never got sick. That did not prevent me from living in a constant state of anxiety over waiting for it to happen. And, um, and, and trying to maintain a joy for life, a sense of humor, uh, finding the, the humor in a situation or trying to find what it all means, God damn it. You know, just what, what is the meaning of all of this? And, and I think that it has a lot to do with my kind of, uh, 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 funny attitude. You know, you don't name a blog, my fabulous disease, unless you're being cheeky. And, um, and that has a lot to do with my attitude today. I feel as if I've kind of earned the right to, uh, uh, to make a joke about it. Absolutely. I mean, if anyone does, but, but what were the first meds that they put you on and and what year was that? Oh, I was on AZT the minute that it arrived. I was, AZT was the first drug that, that was approved for, but before it was even approved by the FDA, I was living in Los Angeles and we would pile into a car, me and friends, uh, who are long gone. And well, we get into a van actually, and we would go to Tijuana and we would all get um, as much AZT as the pharmacia would allow, which was a lot. And then we would have a big party on the beach and stay overnight and get drunk and then drive back like 
the Grinch at the end of the Grinch stole Christmas, driving back with our enormous, you know, pile of AZT, tossing wow. it around to all of our friends, uh, you know, who could not make the trip to get it. So that was that was the first one. And, but, you but know, of course, if I can just interject, what? AZT, yeah. particularly at the levels that they were prescribing it in those days, was so toxic. Was did, did it make Absolutely. did it make you sick? Yeah, it did. It did make me sick. My, all of my really uh, illnesses, as it were, have been uh, drug-related, uh, e- either um, pharmaceutical or otherwise. And um, and yeah, it, it did. It, you, it was on a timer. You had to take it every few hours, wake up in the middle of the night. You know, we were marching on Washington, and you could hear everybody's beeper going off at the time. Oh, it's AZT time, you yeah. know, people pulling out their, pulling out their drug stash. You're talking about in 90, 92, 93? I think the, uh, well, the March in Washington in 93, but there was also gay marches and just events going on all the time, yeah. uh, you know, in, in Los Angeles. Sure. You were, you, because you were an AIDS activist. You were actually part of, of the push. You know, get- I, it's funny because I, I wasn't stomping around. Um, I was, you know, I was caring. I was a caregiver. And so... I worked for an agency that cared for the dying and, um, and then eventually did public relations for them and, uh, and got to meet a lot of, you know, big stars who were all about helping AIDS during that, you know, those crisis years. And that was a blast, really. It was a real education in, in, in doing that work. Um, but I was not, I, I, I didn't, I was not a street activist. It wasn't, I, I, I was very intimidated by these act up guys and queer nation and all of those. I, I appreciated what they did. I just didn't know if I had it in me. And it really wasn't until later, uh, when I led an AIDS agency in Atlanta, did I start, did I take to the streets? Of course, now we all do it every other weekend up here in Baltimore and DC. You know, we're, we're, uh, out there uh, uh, yelling and screaming on a regular basis. Good for you. Yeah, but that's just about whatever's happening in the neighborhood. Because here in New York, people are yelling and screaming about the rats and the traffic and the subway sucks and whatever else. <laughs> like, that's just a part right. of living in the city. Derek I mean, is terrible. screaming at the neighborhood kids from oh, get off my being lawn. on his lawn. Uh, Mark, you, <laughs> uh, on your blog, you write about, obviously, HIV issues, but you also are very open about the fact that you're a recovering meth addict. And, yes. Um, I want to ask you specifically about something that happened a couple weeks ago on the Atlantis cruise where uh, one of the passengers who was something of a celebrity, Joel Taylor, uh, mm-hmm. overdosed apparently and died at the age of 38. Mm-hmm. And it certainly isn't the first time that someone on an Atlantis cruise has overdosed. And there's been a lot of discussion over the past few weeks about whether or not the 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 company Atlantis that that charters these cruises has some kind of responsibility um, to 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 prevent these overdoses from happening. What are your thoughts on on, on this situation? Uh, well, first of all, I my thoughts are this: you know, you're getting old when the arguments we were uh, that conservative people were using against us as as AIDS activists in the '80s and '90s are now being used against gay men by other gay men. And by that, I mean the level of judgment you see in social media about what do you mean they should have been taking precautions? That guy took drugs. He knew what he was doing. 
uh, and you know, essentially, he got what he deserved. Or, I, you know, I he, saw a lot he, of that you know, too. It's so ugly. Yeah, it's so so heartbreaking uh, because the fact is, is whenever moral judgments enter the equation, when you're talking about a public health issue, and certainly uh, addiction and drug abuse, whether it's addiction or not, uh, is a public health uh, issue here, and. And, and and for people to say no, there shouldn't be other any 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 other roadblocks to prevent, you know, that might have made it a little uh, uh, easier for somebody like Joel to have survived. And by that I mean medical personnel that know what an overdose looks like, hanging out at the dance floor, the Cari- the Royal Caribbean people, and the Atlantis cruise people. Bear responsibility, you're saying. Uh oh, did we just lose Mark? Mark, can you hear us? I think he's just tired of talking. To you, honestly, <laughs> that was he made his point and he said, "Good day, sir." Yeah, I uh, said, "Good day." Let's try to get Mark back uh, on the phone. We'll try to get him on the line. Um, I, 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 you know, there was, and I'm sure Mark will speak to this too. You know, we. The sort of circuit party thing really peaked in the in the mid nineties. Like it really became a big thing. But it came out of this place of everyone thought they were going to die. Right. So there really wasn't a reason not to go out on a weekend, take your shirt off, get high. Like what what were you afraid of losing? You know what I mean? Like you were gonna die anyway. Right. So oh 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 no, I lost my job. Well, who cares? Oh, I have a now I have a drug problem. I'm going to die in three months anyway. So I think it, like a lot of this was sort of born out of this, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to live, so I might as well live every day like it's the last day I have and it, at this very heightened level. But I'm actually interested in your perspective, Derek, because you and Romaine charter cruises all the time and, and you don't rent out the whole ship the way Atlantis does, but you bring several dozen or several hundred people on these cruise ships. You can't know what they're what everyone's up to and and who's drinking what or snorting what or i mean like what is do you ha, do you feel any kind of responsibility what can you do to stop this kind of tragedy from happening well the, uh, i i to me i feel like what happened on the atlantis cruise is not about the cruise or about the party it is it is about a systemic issue uh around uh drug abuse and self esteem in particular in the gay male community. And so I think that if you if you say, oh, well, this is Royal Caribbean's fault or this is Atlantis's fault, you're not dealing with the underlying cause. You know, if you if you have the flu, you know, you can take something that gets rid of your runny nose, but it does not resolve the flu. And so I feel like focusing on the runny nose you could still die of the flu. Right. So uh, to me, I think that as a community, what we need to address is how gay people, in particular gay men, feel about themselves and each other, how we treat each other, how we feel about ourselves. Deal with that as an underlying issue. Because people have been doing drugs, people have been going to dances, and people have been upset about dances um, since Footloose. So obviously, this is not, <laughs> nothing's new under the sun about like, well, dancing is the devil's well, work or whatever else. Except this, and I think we have Mark back now. Are you with us, Mark? I am with you. We lost you for a bit. Uh, I, I want to and- speak specifically, though, well, about meth, because I think that, that there is something different in the, the, the rising meth epidemic that is uh, coursing through the gay male community, and particularly how it, it, 
coexists with HIV. Can you sort of speak to that, Mark? Because I know that's an issue. That sure. Well, first of all, anybody who is um, who is even an occasional meth user is is three times more likely to be HIV infected. We also know for a fact that that LGBT people are twice uh, as likely to abuse drugs and or alcohol as are everybody else. We all know the reasons for that. We all know how we grew up and the shame and the self-hatred that we have. So so that, that makes perfect sense. I don't have to wonder, you know, navel gaze about why I became an addict. You know, I grew up a gay boy in Bossier City, Louisiana. Done. <laughs> I understand why, you know, but that but yes, I have responsibility now. Now, to Derek's point about the responsibility of the cruise line, I will say this. Yes, it is true that we have to address the underlying causes, the shame. Certainly, this new administration has set back us back a generation in terms of how LGBT people should feel about themselves and their acceptance in the greater society. So the reasons why we use, certainly, I understand it. But the fact is, is that when you have somebody overdosing on G on a dance floor, we can't we can't look at that and go well. I, gee, we need to really uh, uh, take a look at why people use drugs. No, we need to help that person off that dance floor right now, and we need to have medical personnel that understands what a GHB overdose looks like, and uh, to get a medical help. You're we talking about a, a harm reduction line. approach. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and believe, and, and I'll tell you, I'm I, I do I, I do abstinence. I do not. I haven't had a drink or a drug or of any kind in my body for many years. But I understand the fact that there are people who party occasionally who maybe aren't aren't even quote drug addicts. Maybe they really only do this twice a year when they're but they do it on a boat in the middle of the ocean where there are no EMTs or ambulances or. Uh, you know, I collapsed on a dance floor in 2011 at a circuit party in Atlanta. And if it were not for EMTs on the scene, other people at the party who understood what was happening to me, I would be dead. There's no doubt about it. I was out. Right. And those EMTs identified what was wrong with me. They got me to the hospital. I was in ICU and I survived. That's not going to happen on a cruise line, but there's certainly things that could be done to, to, to lower the risk. And for that, I do believe the cruise line and the, I certainly believe that Atlanta shouldn't be, uh, you know, oh my, I can't believe there's well, some drugs going on in our boat, you know, please. They, I, well, I, I mean, I agree with you. Atlanta, at, Atlantis does have a lot of nerve being surprised that there's gambling in this casino. Um, only because there right. was an FBI sting on one of their ships, whatever, two years ago, uh, where they yes. nabbed a drug dealer and a, a bunch of clients Major drug came dealer. to the door um, while the drug bust was in process. So um, Atlantis, mm-hmm. I certainly think that Atlantis knows about this and the cruise line, you know, they have specific rules about not bringing illegal drugs on board. It's obviously a federal crime. Um, they do search people on and off the boat. I know that they don't search people particularly heavily because most of the time the people who are on these cruises are not drug mules. Like I, you know, I see mm-hmm. I see right. how the, you know, border, the customs and border control don't, you know, they kind of half look the other way on and off the ships because they know it's mostly little old ladies going off on their, you know, innocuous mm-hmm. vacation. But, and I agree that there are things that, that can be done. And to your point, yes, a lot of the people who get into trouble with drugs on the cruise are not people who regularly do drugs. It's the people who yeah. they're lightweights. I, they're lightweights. They don't normally do drugs. They get on the boat. 
uh, and then they are drinking a lot, and then they take something, and they don't even know half half the time what it is, and they get into right. trouble. But there are they are surrounded by strangers, not necessarily friends who are watching out for them, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that was the, always the thing with me. I've never done, I haven't done a lot of drugs in my life, and a big part of it is I have been in situations where I have been offered a very serious drug, but I looked around the room, I was like. If I get into trouble, none of these people will help me. And so that is what stopped me <laughs> yeah. from doing it. It's like if I mm-hmm. if I knew there were people there who are more sober than me, who could watch over me if I had a problem, I would have done it. But the problem right. with these things but is had you cho- had you had you had the poor judgment of going ahead and making the choice to do those drugs. I don't think you should have died as a result of that. No, mistake. of course Absolutely. not. Absolutely. No, and I this, this so. sort of punitive attitude, like, well, serves them right. It's like, where's your yeah, fucking I humanity? I don't subscribe to that. I, yeah. I, I want to move yeah. on, Mark, to a, a, another topic that I think is probably the maybe the most important topic right now in HIV prevention, which is PrEP. Mm-hmm. And as I see it, there are tremendous pros and uh, not a few cons to PrEP. What, what, what's your feeling about this new way of, of avoiding HIV infection while, you know, potentially not using condoms? We've been dealing with HIV for 30 years as a community. That's over a generation. People have come of age and become adults in the age of HIV. Nothing has happened throughout that entire history that is as significant as PrEP. Nothing has happened that can curb this epidemic in the same way that PrEP and one other development I'll mention in a second, but absolutely. Unfortunately, when PrEP came along, um, because it didn't have a big pharmaceutical push, you know, the, the makers of Truvada, which is the currently approved PrEP, although there will be other forms of it, they didn't, they, they didn't promote it. They weren't, didn't even do the research that, that proved that it was effective in preventing HIV. So they said, oh, I'm, we're glad to hear that. Y'all do what you want to with it. So there wasn't a big rollout. No commercials on television. No, no people going to every doctor's office telling them about it. And in, the, and in that vacuum of information, a lot of misinformation happened. Oh, this stuff isn't, uh, it doesn't work. It's, uh, you're going to get liver damage. Um, uh, and uh, the only people who take it are prostitutes. <laughs> you know, uh, so a lot of misinformation. Anybody who chooses to take it is very closely monitored for liver enzymes. It's a very uh, rare side effect, and it is more effective than a condom because a condom you got to think about using. It might break. Oh, you decide might not to use it. Oh, well, maybe I'll you know pull out at the last minute. Whatever it is, prep is a morning pill. You take it with your breakfast in the morning. You get on with your day. You don't have to worry about do I make the right decision in the midst of sex. So that is fantastic, and I think now that tide is turning because. Gilead, the pharmaceutical, is in fact now promoting it more heavily now that the, the research is so definitive. But, but the then, other thing, but Mark, what, what should be the primary HIV education message in 2018? You know, because for years all we've heard is use condoms, use condoms, use condoms. What do we tell mm-hmm. young young LGBTQ people now about how they should have safer uh, sex? Um, have a ha, have a deep, meaningful, important. Uh, sexual existence and love yourself enough to take care of yourself. And it's possible to have both. It's possible to be young and experimental and even promiscuous. People say, well, what, you know, these promiscuous people are taking PrEP. Well, that's who we made it for. (laughs) If you're promiscuous in HRA, I think some of the pushback is this. 
HIV negative people have always seen the primary responsibility for the the for stopping HIV infections with people who are positive. Yes, it's our we are we are the problem. We are the problem to be managed. We are vectors of disease, and if a new infection happens, it's our fault. As opposed to now, we have prep, which is for HIV negative people, and now they're being and now they're being asked. It puts hey, the onus you really on them. Negative, you better step up. Yep. Uh, to me, though, I, I I see a lot of parallels in prep with the birth control pill. That when the birth absolutely, control, when, that's very smart. You're very smart, you Derek person. I know, uh, but when the birth control pill came out, the women who wanted to get on the pill were cons- uh, oh, you must be a whore. You must be a loose woman. They're if still what called you want. that by yeah. people like Rush Limbaugh. But you know, yeah. but you know, uh, women. Came back and said, "No, you know what? I I am taking responsibility for my own sexuality here, and I think that gay men need to look at prep in the same way. You know, take is, take responsibility. I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, for You're your, absolutely right for your own sexuality. Um, and yes. uh, you know, and just like birth control, prep does not prevent you from getting syphilis or herpes or gonorrhea. So right. you you should always in the back of your head say, this is preventing one thing, but not everything. Well, so and, mm-hmm, you should mm-hmm. you know." Build your responsibility around that. And there is this very real concern, Mark, that if we all start barebacking again, there there will be a new microbe sooner or later mm-hmm. that's going to emerge from the muck and we'll have a whole new AIDS epidemic. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that you have to deal with the elephant, deal with the alligator closest to the boat. And right now that alligator is HIV. And yeah. we need to contain that and stop the spread of HIV. Fantasy scenarios, what ifs, don't interest me much. I'm much more interested in, in working on the ground with what it is we know is a threat and how to stop it. Because generally those what if scenarios turn into moral judgment type scenarios, True. you know, about the choices people are making. Uh, you know, I, I, grew, I came of age during a time where the worst that could happen is you got gonorrhea and you sat in a waiting room at the clinic and you cruised other men and you got a shot and you got on with your day. You know, I, I, I talk about gonorrhea nostalgia. You know, <laughs> my God, I wish. Well, some of us still you know? get it. That's a good name for a memoir. That's my drag name, gonorrhea nostalgia. Oh, Mark, I love it. We could talk to you all day. Unfortunately, uh, we we our time is up. I want to let people know that they can read all of your musings on uh, MarkSKing.com, which is the website address for my fabulous disease. How can people follow you on social media? Yeah, myfabulousdisease.com will do it too. Um, it's also on Facebook. I, on Twitter, I'm at myfabdisease. And hey, um, Adam, thank you uh, so much for the invitation. You know how much I think of your work and how I admire you. Thank you. And uh, Likewise. This, Derek so-and-so over there seems to like a smart character himself too. It's all so, right. He has his moments. You. Here's <laughs> his own water. Thank you Thanks so much for much. coming on the show, Mark. Here. I really do recommend sure. people read your blog because you, you write about a lot of interesting things uh, facing our community, not just uh, HIV AIDS, but all sorts of issues. And uh, I do think that, that talking about your recovery from meth addiction, you are saving lives every single day. Um, so I thank you very much. It's so important. Um, so thank you to Mark S. King. I want to thank Derek Hartley Who? of the Derek and Romaine Show uh, and remind our listeners uh, that they can hear you five days a week. Tell them how they can do that, Derek. You just go to DerekandRomaine.com. Click that subscribe button and start subscribing to our show. Six ninety five a month, the best six ninety five you'll spend all month long. Unless you really love Starbucks, and then I don't know your mochaccino might be better. And your channel is growing by leaps and bounds. There's a there's a, a lesbian podcast now. 
Well, we have the I Love My I Wife love podcast. My wife. Yes. Uh, we have, we're have. we expanding the DNR uh, network. It's so getting yes, better every day. More shows coming soon. Thank you, Derek, for being my co-host. Next week, we have Broadway actress Jen Cody on the show. Broadway? She's fantastic. Don't forget to follow me. Me! On Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank. You can email me your comments and angry feedback at adam at adamsank.com and download my comedy album. Have a great week, bitches. Thank you. Ass. Ass.